So this is a very special edition of the Burns Built podcast. Um, this is Nick, and today I've got um, Mac here, and we've got our founder and president, Kenneth Burns, my grandfather. And so this is uh, this is probably our most requested. Absolutely. This is um, based on our surveys. Um, this is the number one pe- person people want to hear from. Outside of uh, Russell, everybody wanted to hear from Russell as well, too. <laughs> so that's who you needed in here, Russ. Yeah, don't worry. He's got a. He'll, we figured it would be good to have y'all on a have one together. So yeah, um, we, can, we can do that. Yeah, Either if you go first, he might be a little more inclined to join yeah. us. So, um, uh, just when we started talking about doing this, um, we kind of. I think the first thing you asked was like. What are, what are we going to talk about? And yesterday we talked about just kind of some ideas of different things to talk about. And I think the thing that people want to know the most about is kind of the early history. Um, and I've heard bits and pieces of it over the years. Um, but I don't know that um, I've heard exactly how everything got started. But like, I guess that's probably a great place to lead into is what, why did, how'd y'all even think about getting in? business in the first place well Dwayne went to school to be a mechanic and he worked here in Columbus and mostly what he worked on was school buses he didn't like that because if it if he couldn't fix it it came back he didn't get paid for fixing the second time so Mm. he went to work for Caterpillar and Jackson that was Puckett then Puckett yeah and uh he just didn't like Jackson or living away from home. He was still single then. I was cutting meat at Columbus Air Force Base for five and a half years, and we both just got de- dissatisfied with what we was doing and wanted really wanted to be outside. And so we bought a dump truck apiece and uh, start. I worked for Ellis. I worked for Permacore to start with for a year. And then they bought their own truck, so he worked for Ellis. So then I went to work for Ellis, and that lasted about three months. And then we both went to the bypass. What were y'all hauling on before before going to the bypass? Uh, just Random. typically is sort of what we do now: dirt, gravel, whatever they had, big jobs, small jobs, just different commercial commercial industrial stuff. Yeah. And so, then you went to the bypass. So we went to, <clears throat> went to the bypass, and uh, we was hauling dirt for $3 a load. So you had to make 50 loads a day. So, How short of a haul was that? for? Well, it was from out there to post office on Blue Cut over here on 12. That's around from 12 all the way around to the mall is the part we worked on. And we did that, and we'd we'd start six in the morning. They'd knock off at five, and that's what it took to get fifty loads a day. And that's what we had to have to survive. And I guess then we'd work for Bernard Leonard in Millport at night, hauling clay gravel to different places and doing little jobs with him. He was actually the loader man at the bypass. So we'd worked 10, 11 o'clock at night, and then we said, well, heck, we might as well try to buy us a loader. So we bid on a hand-clutch 955 Caterpillar at the line plant in Macon and got the low bid on it. So we started doing the same thing. We worked night and day, six days a week. Yeah. I, at one point, you told me a story about how when y'all bought that loader to like change the oil, y'all would dig a hole in the backyard and at night go out there, and that was how y'all were servicing it in the backyard. Well, we did that, and uh, if it wouldn't crank in the morning, it had a hand clutch, so we'd hook something to it and pull it down the hill to, in cold weather. <laughs> And uh, we couldn't afford at that time to buy a starter for it. And then my mother-in-law worked at 
American Bosch and Caterpillar wanted nine hundred something dollars for a starter, and she bought it. At, they actually made them here at American Bosch, so we bought it for a hundred and something dollars. So we thought we was in high cotton; it'd crank every time. <laughs> Machines are a little bit different now, aren't they? Yeah, it's a lot different. Uh, you know, you had a hand clutch. You steered it with your feet. You get off the machine at the end of the day, you couldn't hardly walk because your legs were wore out So did we, if did you, you ran it all day. So did you have a pedal that controlled each track? Is that right? So you push down on your right one if you wanted the right track to spin forward. Correct. And you'd go to your heel to go backwards. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then we bought a rubber tire loader and hired Don Pierce, was our first employee. And he's still around. He told me a couple of months ago he wished he'd stay here. He would probably be in Russell's position by now. <laughs> but, you know, things have changed over the years. We started off paying in the 50s for diesel fuel and then by 1980 it was up to a dollar by the end of the year it's a dollar ten and then you see what it is now yeah well hmm. so so when you i guess that was kind of the the process in those early years of like you'd buy a machine hire somebody buy uh, another machine and then you'd hire what um so the, the track loaders first and then rubber tire loader i mean so how was that evolution of, of buying machines in those early years? Well, we took we took a bucket off the 955 track loader and put a dozer blade on it. So uh -huh. we used it for a dozer, and we had the rubber tire loader, and Don Pierce was the only employee we had, and then we bought a case dozer. So we hired another guy and just progressed through the years. Yeah. Every, it seemed like everything we did called for a different type or a bigger machine and yeah it's kind of you'd get a job and you'd need a certain machine for for that job and you go buy something yeah when uh when did you start buying track codes and i mean uh we had a old john deere track code probably in the early 80s mm-hmm we couldn't buy much because interest rate in 80 and 81 was like 17% at the bank. But we still made it. I mean, we'd, we'd buy a machine, we'd have to finance it, so. Yeah. At what point did you decide to stick with Earthwork? Like you said, every job you got required a different machine, but at what point were you like, we're going to specialize and stay here in this one? From day one. Okay. <laughs> Just we to... didn't have a choice. I had a wife and two kids at home, and Dwayne the same way, and our wives didn't work. And uh, I we... guess what you're asking is, like, why didn't you start yeah. pouring concrete? It, or... Yeah, at some point you decided we're gonna we're gonna stick with earthwork. It was so many people in concrete, and then back when we did start getting bigger jobs, we started hiring people to do the concrete, but. Most of the time back in the early years, we was all, we were subcontractors. Mm. And then. Yeah, so you're just doing your piece. In other okay. words, someone came in and said, hey, I need somebody to move the dirt and build just this pad. This. And that's all you were really pricing and going after anyways yeah. in the early years. Yeah. Then we got uh, Golden Triangle Runway and. We subbed everything out on that. And that was one of the first early projects of really subbing stuff out. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was 2008 or nine, six, six, eight, eight, 2008. Yeah. So, so up until that point, y'all were just being a subcontractor. Pretty much. Uh, other than house slabs and stuff like that or clearing house lots, uh, we were pretty much subcontractors. Okay, okay. Um, I know one of always hear about the uh, the library on campus that that was like the first project on campus. When we have we've been working on campus now thirty one years. That was in ninety one, right? 
Was that that was right. the first project? I know it was in ninety one. That was the first project on campus, right? Right. Was that the one with the basement? That's the that's what the library that's there today, right? Right. With the basement. So I mean, even even you know that's a couple decades in business. There, you're already doing some pretty technical excavations. Um, we had a lot of underground stuff on that library. And then the next job we did was the alumni building at State. So we actually started off with two big jobs. Oh, really? yeah, and I guess so. And then it just progressed from there. That was the Hunter Henry Center, the one that looks like right. a spaceship. Yeah. We did that for Jesco. And back then, in those years, Jesco was doing, I'd say, 70% of the work on the campus. So. We'd go to Chipolo and work for them and other towns and pretty much followed. They pretty much used us regardless of where they was working. Where Do you remember what the first project y'all did with them for Jesco? Hunter Henry. The Hunter Henry was? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So y'all had a good, built a good relationship there and you just started following them. Right. It had multiple levels in the floor and uh, pretty complicated job, but. Uh, yeah, I think, and it, that was kind of that's our reputation now. A lot is those complicated, a complicated dirt job, right? In the area that someone like we get, we get the call, and I guess that's really when that. What was the first couple projects that you feel like were those technical excavation type? Was that the beginning, or was it even earlier than that? No, that was probably the first other than just doing pads and cleared and roads and stuff like that. but Yeah. Hmm. And then I, 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 we, we always talk about everything changed with American Eurocopter. Um, that it, um, that was 07? 06? Eurocopter? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 27, two, 2007 or 2008, because we bought two new rubber-tired backhoes. Well, we bought a lot of equipment for that job. We had 30 hired trucks helping us on that job. How many? 30. 30? Because we was hauling dirt from East Columbus. We worked uh, seven days a week. You know, 16 hours a day. I can't remember who it was. Somebody with Jesco told me that they were they remembered that site, and it was just like ants with the amount of dump trucks and everything that was moving on that job site. It just felt like ants because that, of how many hired trucks were going. That project was a turning point for a lot of companies in the Golden Triangle. For for the Golden Triangle itself, is that it was that's kind of what established our yeah. trajectory as being that if you want you know rural industrial revolution that happened here. Um, that project set it off. Was that kind of before Packard and Aurora mm -hmm. and all? I mean, that was, yeah. so that would have been the first big major project out in the industrial park in Columbus then. That right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Then Aurora, we did all three phases of it. And we worked at steel mill some, but just as subs. Yeah. Worked at Packard. Uh, we actually went inside the building and did all the grading. It was up to 18 inches out of level, and we filled it all in with limestone. So y'all were doing that to prep for the interior slab, like they already put the building up. Right. And you went in there to get the capillary barrier on grade, right? Right. <clears throat> gotcha. So, but y'all didn't do the, the site work. That was Hill Brothers that did all the exterior right. site work, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. They hmm. couldn't get them to come back to finish the inside, so... Yeah, it's about time. Jesco got us to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about a lot of companies that are still around and have grown over the years, like like a Jesco or a Perma. Um, what are those partner relationships like? How important was Jesco to you and were you to Jesco in those days? In the past, it's been very important to have loyal contractors that you could work for and... The people that we used to work for now, a good many of them work for us. But uh, it's very important. Uh, 
if you don't, you have all these outside companies coming in and they'll do one job and you never see them again. And that helps us to get a lot of jobs. Well, and there's probably some efficiency reasoning for it too, is that particularly what I've watched is we're bidding in places that have different terrain and the dirt is different in different areas. Using a local sometimes is going to be largely beneficial for your job. They know what this dirt does. They know where things are. They've got a handle on supply and bits and things like that. And it behooves the company to have particularly for site work to have somebody with a local. To have good soil people yeah. from this area too has really helped through the years. Yeah, to have, to have, you're talking about to have good the engineers that understand it or having a dirt contractor that understands your soils? Uh, soils engineers. Yeah. Richard and Mr. Springer and different companies that had a knowledge of this dirt in this because once you go across the river in Lowndes County, all the way to Octavia Hall County, it's just not any good dirt. Yeah. Yeah. But having yeah having an engineer, the geotechnical engineer that understands right. the material. Um, how did you? We we talk a lot about um, trying to pass down information and teach people um, that if you understand, you know how to run a dozer, then invest in the next you know the young kid that's coming in and starting. How how did you learn? All of it. I mean, how did you? I mean, back in early days, you learned how to drive a truck, but then you bought a track loader. How'd you learn to run the track loader? Just well, we'd been around. Dwayne and I both just had a dump truck to start with, so we was around loaders and road graders and stuff like that. Uh, we never ran a road grader either one of us, so that was just trial and error. We got a job with the Corps of Engineers and had to have one, so. We both learned to run it real quick and uh, just watching people and uh, hands-on is the way you learn. And then that's the way you teach other people is hands-on, show them how it's done. Yeah, actually take the time to say this this lever does this, especially with those old road graders. And you've probably never seen the road graders nowadays are not like the one that he's talking about. (laughs) So they used to call them an organ. I've always heard them referred to as an organ style. Well, the first one we ever had had about 12 levers up here, and they wasn't really hydraulic. Uh, you more or less had to bump them in gear, and uh, it, was a, it was a chore to learn to run it and, and be good at it to be able to grade a road and get the road on grade to put paving on. Yeah. Yeah, you think about you've you've gotten inside of road graders and operated one, but mm-hmm. they're we talk about how complicated they are and that blade moves and rolls yeah. and shifts and all that. The one that I've you, seen is not nearly as complicated. Yeah, you used to have these levers that would do each individual action. I guess you'd pull pulling one might rotate right. it, you know, or pulling a different one might shift it. The and, amount of left brain, right brain transition that it sounds like y'all made in those early days by using both of your feet in alternate functions by using that many different hands. I mean, the amount of brain power it takes to well, operate Well, I guess you got to like have a knack for it. You know, me and Dwayne always drove tractors on farms and stuff like that growing up, uh, hauling hay and stuff like that. So we had a little knowledge and experience of running stuff, but never uh, construction equipment. The equipment today has, has transitioned to... It's so much. It's a lot easier to learn than what. That's what always blew my mind about how they. That's why I asked that question: is how did you figure that out? Because today we're spending a lot of time of people teaching, but you also have machine control that makes it a lot easier. A lot faster. Um, a lot faster. Um, how does um, you know, we talk about technology used a lot? We use machine control a lot, and now you know we're starting to use this new survey drone, and so technology changes really fast. But in the early years, did the technology wasn't it wasn't changing as rapidly, was it? I mean, no, some... not not even with machines. It really wasn't until later on, and uh, I'd say in the last ten years, it's just changed dramatically. Yeah. When did just start? I mean, because at some point you started, you stopped using the sight level and started using a laser 
to grade, right? That right. was a big. When it, when did y'all start using those kind of tools? Uh, we probably had lasers for fifteen years. Uh, just like estimating dirt, you know, we start. I started off. Uh, I bought a computer and read a book about an inch and a half thick. Taught myself how to use it, I guess. But you still figure dirt. You could dig. You could do it by hand on a one one inch square. But you go over a set of plans, and what you do is you'd get all four corners the elevations and then you'd average each individual one inch square and you it'd take me two or three days to figure a good size job and uh i'd after church on sunday you know i'd come work sunday afternoon to try to get a job out but uh i mean it'd take weeks to put i mean if you're yeah, putting to, together to, 10 to or put 20 the whole acres job time, time, weeks it did how did those jobs evolve over time, like in acre size? And I know you said you what what really kind of you started out with were pretty complex jobs on Mississippi State's campus there when you got to that level. But how have you seen that the jobs themselves have changed? Well, just in size, dollar wise, plus uh, you know back then if we got a ten thousand yard job, it was. But back then, you, you had a longer time to complete the jobs than you do now. You know, they want them done. They, get, they tell you when they want them done now. Used to, our philosophy was get a job, get it done. Don't, don't just tie down a bunch of jobs, but finish them and go to the next one. And, you know, they're four, five, six million dollar jobs now where if we got a fifty thousand dollar job we was in high cotton yeah and you went from doing house pads yeah. to and then you Eurocopter. know yeah american Eurocopter or the runway extension that you're talking about earlier at gtr yeah that i mean that was a hundred thousand tons worth of rock probably on that wasn't it it was, a, I don't remember exactly how much, but it was, they just kept buying rock. I mean, one side of your uh, pack car was 18 inches out in inside the building. Yeah. Pack car, I, I don't remember how much it was. But then we built a mile road from, uh, what's the other drone place? Stark. Star. Stark. A mile of runway from start to the airport, and it was it was a pretty good challenge. Yeah, was that part of the driver that you always just kept going for a bigger job because it was a bigger challenge and just kept pushing? Yeah, we had, you know, we just kept getting more people, and they got required bigger jobs. Uh, I guess. We've had the last 20 years, we've really had some good people, good superintendents. That's the backbone of your company is your superintendents. Yeah. People you can trust to get the job done, not out there goofing off. Right. You don't have to go check on them. You know, they just keep. That's one good thing about Russell. You know, you never had to. You could. Matter of fact, he got ill for me for about two years because. He'd he'd have a good big job, and we'd never go check on him. And you know, I guess he'd get his feelings hurt because we didn't come around and brag on him. But you didn't need to check on him, right? Yeah. No, we, you didn't. And he was tighter with our money than we were, more than me and Dwayne put together. Yeah. It seems like that was sort of the philosophy, rather than you see some companies that get a job and grow and staff up and hire people and then when they don't they lay them off y'all always tried to get the jobs to keep your people busy we, and we've working. never had to lay people off except uh just you know the economy if the com economy shut down i don't remember that happening in the 45 years that we've been doing this but once and 
we've all we've never had anybody go without a paycheck. That's one reason we decided to get away from the bypass because we'd haul dirt all week, six days, some weeks, and then our check would bounce at the end of the week. And bonuses and other stuff me and Dwayne's always give to our employees, even if we didn't get a penny at the end of the year. And same way with a paycheck. We've never failed or had a payroll check to bounce. Yeah, taking care of your people. I mean, that being priority number one. Right. Yeah. That's, I think that's a lot of our success. You talked about superintendents being the backbone of your company. What makes a good superintendent? Honesty and integrity, somebody that has got pride at the end of the job, uh, We've had them come and go, you know, and they didn't really care what the job. They wouldn't go the extra little things at the end of the job to get it finished. You know, anything they could get by with, they'd leave it. But the people that we've found makes the best superintendents is somebody that takes pride in their work. That attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. On the outside looking in, if you're – stand on the side of the road and you don't know any better it looks like that earthwork is just like there's not a lot of level of detail to it but then i've just been here a little over two months and i can see the the incremental details down to the portions of inches of how precise and how specific earthwork is Uh, what was what's the transition going from doing all of that by hand to doing that in a, in a computerized technology setting, the measurements. And the... Well, it's it's easier, and at the end of the day, you shouldn't be near as tired <laughs> with the technology and the machines and as advanced as machines has got now. Yeah, yeah. your production rates go. Yeah, yeah. through the yeah. production's but, up. But you still have a lot of hand detail yesterday i was at the triangle crossing site and gilbert was talking about that inside that parking lot was well over a mile of curb inside Mm -hmm. that job site and so yeah you've got this very very high-end road grader out there that leroy is running i mean that's one of the fancy that is the fanciest machine that we own the most complex machine with uts system and everything on it um but you still have someone going behind with a shovel Emmanuel's going to have a yeah. shovel cleaning the curbs off and cleaning. It doesn't replace that person. Yeah. That person's still got to be there, and you still have to clean and prep a mile That's edge right. of curb for asphalt. Wow. It just really allows you to do But more. you do a lot less now with this road grader and somebody like Leroy operating it. Yeah. But it still, it still has hand work. Well, the difference is that like that is um, you have a good operator, and you have a good piece of equipment back 10 years ago, even you had two or three more guys out there with string and a ruler, you know, pulling between the curbs and, right. you're, and you're trying to communicate with the throwing numbers yeah. up with the, the road grader that operator. That just frustrates everybody. <laughs> yeah. Hand signals. <laughs> Max has been really interested in the hand signals. She's, yeah. she, she has a desire for universal hand signals. But well, she, see, I've given up that's, on it. that's the problem. Nobody's <laughs> hand no systems are the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to watch and try to figure out everybody else's site-specific language now. Yeah. Talking about the road grader and Leroy, it's just like when Garrett did a parking lot at the Columbus Air Force Base, you know, he told me, he said, you give me Leroy another day or two, and I won't need any laborers. Mm-hmm. So that's... That has really helped being able to get in and do curbs, sidewalks, and stuff. Yeah, having a good technology and a good technology. Yeah. yeah. What are some of? Uh, do you have a favorite project? One that just kind of that was fun to work on, or that was really interesting or really challenging? Something that stands out. I would say Hunter Henry. Mississippi State was probably was so many levels of that floor, and uh, they had to build forms for all that concrete work and all, and uh, it had a basement in it. No, I, that's uh, 
Larry Templeton Center, we did it. It was a pretty challenging job because it had a basement down in that blue chalk, mm -hmm. blue rock. But it was, I guess, that'd probably be my yeah. Hunter Henry probably favorite. The library was a scary job because we was down under a ground putting storm drains in and part of it was brick and you'd have to walk, bend over to walk through it. Part of it was blocked, some of it was tile, some of it was terracotta, some of it was concrete. And they finally barred us from going down in it because it's so unsafe, but they was, and we had ended up blocking the street and uh, laying the whole job back. But we'd actually been down in there working and cars running over and uh, it was just, it was pretty challenging too. That was down, that's got to be down like below the old tunnel system and everything. Were, were y'all encountering those tunnels and... Yeah, we took a lot of that stuff out. The old, uh, it was a railroad track that ran through there that uh, they had filled in all uh, the railroad, uh, railroad tracks with burnt buildings off of Mississippi State. <laughs> and it was just, it was a challenging job. Both of those, it's just the two, I guess, that I'd say if I had a favorite would be. That to his point, that side of campus over there mm -hmm. on the east side of the drill field from kind of where the post office YMCA, where the union's at, mm -hmm. back to the engineering building. That's the old part of campus. That's the original part of campus. And every time you dig in the ground, you're it's just, like a treasure it's, hunt. yeah, it's we'll a, find something. like an old war zone is what it looks like. Yeah. Wow. We've been blessed to uh, have Mississippi State because you can't hardly go down the street over there that we didn't work on a site or build the road. We took roads out and rerouted roads and parking lots, dug them out and completely redid them uh, from one side of that campus to the other. Yeah, I always talk about there's 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 parts of it I'm sure you could stand with him and say and him say I've worked on everything inside. Yeah. I mean, probably good portions of it. Yeah. If you could go on site today on a job. What machine would you run? It wouldn't be a road grader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd probably run a dozer. Just curious. You need to go try that. Um, we got it next year in 336 with Earthworks machine control on it, and it's got automatic hydraulics. So you set your, they're over there digging out a parking garage at Start for Walk, and when that bucket gets to, the grade you're digging out for it stops. Doesn't matter how much you stick down, it just, it's a. I've seen that uh, where they've demonstrated that, but that's probably too technical for me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn to run the articulated dump truck. I'd like to. I don't know if you operate that or if you drive that. I don't you know. Drive it. Drive, you drive, drive it. Drive it and operate it. If you don't, you'll turn over. Right? Yeah. I just. I, that's if I had to pick one to learn. <laughs> that one looks pretty cool. We had a girl, I say a girl, she was a lady that was our temp representative here in Columbus for a while, and she always wanted to learn to run a dozer. But, uh, matter of fact, I go to church with her now, and she still laughs about wanting to learn to run. She said, I did, she went back to nursing instead of the temp service. And uh, that was her goes to run a, a dozer. Yeah. Maybe as advanced as they are and as small as some of the machines are cabin-wise, there's there's some opportunity there for, for growth in the workforce if we can yeah. figure out the schedule part. You better start off something. Something smaller, maybe? Smaller. Just a little bit. <laughs> that off-road <laughs> truck. Yeah. <laughs> You've had some skids to your time. A little bit. I got to watch... Um, I was doing some interviews on site this week, and Garrett was in a skid skier, and I mean, he was just hoofing it. <laughs> he was going probably as fast as that thing, but I just kind of sat there in between my interviews and watched him for about half an hour, just scooping, leveling, going back and forth. I mean, just 
getting it to the other end of the bulldog way and then all the way back and just yeah um but yeah it's a it's a snug fit in there snug yeah fit. you can do a lot with a skid steer people people underestimate what you can do with a skid steer but i've yeah. seen folks like teddy strickland is one of the most amazing skid steer operators yeah. there's a lot of folks out there that can just he he gets it too it, it, the speed the speed with which Teddy moves. Teddy is Teddy has been. He's another key employee. It's been here for years. Uh, he started off as a kid. My brother took him under his wing, and I threatened to fire him two or three times. He, you give him the end of a fifty foot or a hundred foot tape, and you pull it tight, and he'd walk towards you. And I told him, I said, "Boy, you do that one more time, I'm gonna fire you. Take you to the shop and fire you." He wouldn't hold it still and let it stretch. He would uh, walk towards you every time it got tight. So, <laughs> But uh, I guess my brother had a big influence on him, reason he's still here. Yeah. But he is, he's been a valuable employee too. And others, uh, we, we got a lot of good superintendents and project managers now. Yeah, you you commented the other day about how fast um, Teddy's project is moving out there. Yeah, yeah Lakeview. He and Dylan are just watching them work. They're very intense. They work really really quickly. Safely though, the the balance of quickly and safely is yeah. it's not anything where I ever feel like it's out of control. It's just moving so quickly, and they are really engaged in whatever whatever task is at hand. Yeah, that. They are a great example of the nonverbal communication. Some, I think you or Dwayne years ago told me that like a good crew doesn't even talk to each other. You can all read each other's mind right. and you know what's going on. And those crews that are hyper efficient, mm-hmm. they never talk to each other. You know, they don't talk about what's, what's going to happen next. You, they just know. Just know. That's, that's key to producing a good job is for everybody to know what they're doing. What do you think is the best way to to know to for to teach really? I mean, let's just make it that point. Like, what's the best way to teach someone how a job's built? Not just because I know when you talk about learning how to run equipment, you're saying show somebody and sit there and explain to them and let them try it. But like building a job, it takes months or years sometimes even to build a job. How do you teach someone how a job's built? Well, I think that's one of our faults over the years. We didn't. We would just uh, basically show the job to the superintendent and not to the operators. And, you know, the superintendent wasn't there. They was just lost. So it's, I think to teach, you need to convey the whole job to the, the whole crew at some point, be it the superintendent or the project manager. Show them what we're trying to do try, what we're trying to build yeah we've talked about that a little bit how do yeah. we how do we um we have technology but a lot of technology at our disposal when we start a job we've talked about is there a way that we can 3d model a project and bring the whole crew in and talk through hey we have this much of rock we have this much and here's the things to watch out for like you're talking about reviewing it with the superintendent having a pre kind of pre-construction meeting with the entire crew. Right. But the hardest thing um, is how looking at a job on a piece of paper and getting it in your head what it's supposed to look like. Correct. Showing them quantities that they're going to be putting on the job. Not necessarily prices, but just... Kind of fills in the gaps of why you're doing something. For If if you know the big picture, you know the whole project, even just to be familiar with it. You know why you're completing the task that you're doing. And it helps get you to the next one that much quicker and efficiently. Just an example, over the years, you know, we know we had 1,000 tons of or yards of topsoil to put back down at the end of the job. Well, we'd have superintendents that didn't didn't save the topsoil. You know, they just wasted it or got rid of it. And then at the end, you got to haul it back. So... I think that would be advantage to showing people that at the end of the job you got to have a thousand yards, so you got to stockpile it or haul it off site and stockpile it. Yeah. 
yeah, knowing everything that's going to be involved in the job because you may have a little bit of rock left over too that you might need to save to backfill a trench or something. You know, there's, right. mm-hmm. yeah, the more information you can present up front. I think that'd be a, the key to a good job. Gotcha. Hmm. You said earlier that was something you felt like you didn't do a good job of or could have done better Correct. on projects. What's something you think you did do? a good job with project work? Well, (laughs) (laughs) we tried to, you know, treat people like family and uh, respect them. Didn't always happen, but uh, I guess just doing, showing the job and trying to get everybody interested in completing the job. Yeah. Being passionate about your work. That's when we're Correct. recruiting students. Um, I was at a job fair this week and I kind of, I noticed with the other contractors, we we're over in like construction corner. And the first thing they would ask is, do you like to work outside? And if they said yes, we'd say, great, come over here and talk to all these people. And if they said no, we'd say, go over to the other side of that building because those people work inside and these people work outside. So you, you'll find your, your, your people over, yeah. over there. But um, you can see it when somebody is passionate about working with their hands and, and doing that kind of right. um, really engaged, not just working in one spot, not just in a, a cubicle or an office, something like that. But you can really see that kind of passion for this type of work with new individuals who are leaving the company. And you can see it with folks who are who have been here for 30, 20 years. Yeah. Um, it's true. Yeah. Kind of, kind of got to love what you do. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still do dirt work? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, I've always liked landscaping and why I didn't pursue it. I don't know. We just, uh, you know, we finally got up. Uh, even grassing and everything else, we just sub it out. And uh, I wish we'd uh, pursued that. I mean, it's not too late. You could be the landscaping sub if yeah. you wanted to. Maybe. No, yeah, well, you would have a division of that. We'd have to. We'd have to start at that, like Burns Grass. Burns Grass. Burns Grass Construction yeah. or something. That sounds like burnt grass. <laughs> <laughs> I've always heard you, you know, talk about that you wish you'd have gone to state and got a landscaping architect degree or something. That you enjoyed the design of landscape as well. I mean, or is it more more on the actual just wishing you had done yeah. more landscape? My life would have been a lot easier if I'd have got an education in what I'm doing. Uh, I was always good at math and all, so I sort of, I guess that's the reason I ended up doing the bidding and Mm -hmm. taking care of the financial part of the business. But uh, I know my life would have been easier over the years if I'd have got a better education. I got out of high school, all I wanted to do was go to work. Yeah. And then found yourself in a... at one point in an office job working numbers all day long, box by box. I probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My daddy was ended up as a bookkeeper, and he only had a sixth grade education, so I guess that helped me, or that's where I got it from. Somewhere in this gene pool is a knack for numbers. You can, you can see it. Yeah. And we've... You know, we've had Nicole over the years to keep the office. Didn't have to worry about people embezzling. And then Nick's come along and picked up where we, where Dwayne and I, I guess, left off. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, that's part of that family atmosphere, too, is that, um, when, even when you stopped, you know, writing paychecks and you were building stuff, Nicole was doing stuff, was that, you know, someone from the family also was yeah. there helping you go through your drug testing. You know, when you got hired on and do your hiring paperwork, and correct. Um, you know, I've, you watch people that have been here for a really long time. I can see the relationship 
the that the closeness that they have with Nicole because you talk to her all you know time. all yeah. the time you know yeah How, she, she's a she's an absolute glue between the sort of the field and the office and um, her I think her position is unique that way, but I think it's a lot of her that she's just, mm-hmm. um, you can observe how she's important a, she is. <clears> she's always her. been passionate about her job. Yeah. She started back doing the books, I guess. Uh, my wife actually did them when it was just me and Dwayne and one or two employees. And Nicole actually started, I guess, when she was actually in college. And then it just progressed. But another person that I need to mention, I guess, is Bill Robinson. Oh, I haven't met Mr. Bill yet. Oh, you're kidding. No, not yet. <laughs> Bill worked for Ellis. He was vice president of Ellis Construction till they re- closed doors and uh, or retired, I guess. And Bill came to work here, and he's he's really brought our company on, too with his knowledge on the air base and bidding. He he taught me a lot, even though I'd been doing it probably as... He's my age, so I know he's been doing it as long as I have. But I, I learned a lot from Bill Robson. He's... You need to meet him. Yeah. yeah. Even though he only works three days a week, if he's, <laughs> well, he's, if he's a pretty solid this, three days. It no, sounds like he's that. he's overtime this week. I, he submitted a bid this morning, so he's. Yeah. I've been. I, just, I hear about him as sort of this like uh, mythical person who has all the answers. He's like Oz or something. Yeah, so I tell you, you can you can call him now, and yeah. he'll get you an answer, and he'll get it that day. Yeah. Who yeah. are some other people that you learned a lot from, whether they're in the company or or other? Uh, Mr. Harry Terrell, he probably spent more time with me teaching me to bid jobs, uh, Cherokee construction here in Columbus. We worked, we did all their work and Jimmy Pryor, which is Roger Pryor with Pryor and Mars daddy. I would go to Chipolo and sit down with him and he really taught me a lot about figuring dirt and bidding jobs. We we used to do all their work in this area and in Chipolo. They're doing a project for Mr. Roger right now. Yeah. Is Cherokee still around? Who? Cherokee. Cherokee, no. no. What makes what why do you think that Burns has been able to sustain one, the quality of business for so long, but just the business in and of itself for almost fifty years now? Uh, just honesty and integrity and doing good business. Yes. And that good part is more than just the numbers work or the projects finished. It's Correct. about the, the quality of the people and the quality of the product. Yeah. Seems simple. I've tried to read a one proverb every day and at the end of 31 days I start over reading the first one again and I've tried to run this company based on things in Proverbs Hmm. he may not he may not want to hear this but you know when I came into this business I've I've come across people years over the years that have known him you know for a long time and repeatedly over and over I hear the description good people oh absolutely good people when I when the announcement came out and I took this job, that's one of the things that I heard from people that I really respected in the development world who had, who were on the construction side and said, oh man, Burns folks are good people. They're good people. It's a good, solid company, but they're really good people. Um, that's yeah. I, I, what I thought I already knew, but to, to get it reaffirmed from, from the world that I was coming from, it was pretty great. Yeah. That's that's. I think that's the evidence of what you're talking about. That waking up every day and saying, "I'm going to do the right thing," yeah. whatever the right thing is today. Well, I'm my parents to. talk taught us work ethics, and well, that's what we've tried to bring through the generations and teach them. I mean, we, <clears throat> we got to work for a living, unless you're just born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And uh, 
I think we've got people now that realize that. This day we live in now, they better start realizing it if they don't. Yeah. If they want to get ahead in life. Yep. I think you're seeing a lot of the people um, that want to work and that have the work ethic in our society right now. And maybe I know I'm in kind of an echo chamber a lot, but the people that want to work are choosing our industry in a lot of, in a lot of cases that the people that are wanting to work, they say, Oh, I'm going to go do welding or I'm going to, you know, go to construction or those types of, those types of things is that it's starting to be the, the attitude that, Oh, if you want to work, here's the, mm-hmm. here's the career path for you. Um, and I think it's kind of the reverberation of the toughness yeah. of the, yeah. I, I talked to a young man yesterday and the way he phrased this just stood out to me because you could tell that he has been he has been raised with intention. Um, he's out of high school, and I said, "Okay, what are your what are your goals? Why are you here? What where do you see yourself?" And he said, "I want to be a stable young man by the time I'm 25." And I thought, "What a interesting way to say I want to be a stable young man by the time I'm 25, and I want to work in construction." And that. That was his idea of a pathway to that stability, to the kind of man that he wants to become. This field was where he thought he was going to find that. He also told me he wanted to run a motor grader. So <laughs> you had, I think we can absolutely get you to this stable young man pretty quickly, and right. that motor grader's going to take a little bit of time. Um, yeah. He's got the will to do yeah, it. Yeah, but he, he did. He he, had, he's 19 years old already. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you got anything else? No. I think we're good. Okay. We, c- we can come back. And I yeah. don't think this will be the last time you'll be here with us. No. I'll do one with Russell Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll... We're going to let you invite him. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. That's right. <laughs> All righty. Well, um, this has been episode of the um, Burns Built podcast, and uh, we'll we'll follow up with some some more good stories and I'm, I'm I know those are big legacy maybe. series yeah yeah that's a that's a great way to put it so alrighty sounds good until next time <laughs>